welcome to the Steve Dunn Podcast, episode one, our first. I'm thrilled to be joined by Tony Messia, founder and editor of the Charlotte Ledger. The Ledger is an email newsletter that brings you information you don't already know. They cover stories and dig in deep on matters that aren't covered by other media outlets. They do a great job. You can sign up for free at charlotteledger.substack.com. And if you like it as much as I do, you can become a paid subscriber. Tony and I spend some time talking about what the Ledger is and how they do what they do. I enjoyed it. I hope you will too. All right, Tony Messia, here we are. Episode one of the Steve Dunn Podcast. It is such an honor. I can't tell you, Steve, how honored I am to be here. I wanted to talk to you about... The, the reason that I thought of you for this is that in addition to uh, being a friend and in addition to being somebody who's spoken on the radio before, who's comfortable <laughs> with uh, microphones and headphones and stuff like that... Mm-hmm. You are the founder and editor of the Charlotte Ledger, which is a, an email newsletter, which I, uh, even if we didn't know each other, would be recommending to everyone I know that they sign up. Uh, you have a, a product uh, that I am a consumer of that I believe in uh, and like very much. And I, what I'd love to do today is to talk about your career in journalism a little bit and your founding of The Ledger and uh, what it means to you and what it means to Charlotte. Great. Looking forward to it. All right. Let's do it. Did you want to be a reporter when you were a kid? No. You know, the funny thing is I actually wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid. <laughs> it's funny because my wife, my wife wanted to be a journalist when she was in high school, and I wanted to be a lawyer, actually a judge, actually chief justice of the Supreme Court, <laughs> you know, uh, and my dad was a lawyer. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that'd be kind of neat. And then, uh, then I kind of didn't want to do that. I just got into journalism a, a little bit, had a little bit of a taste of it, enjoyed, realized that I, what I actually enjoyed, Steve, was finding things out and talking to people and sort of um, enabling my curiosity. You know, the, the great thing about journalism is you have license to go ask anybody anything at any time. Now, they don't have to talk to you. They can tell you no. They can, you know, they can hang up on you. They don't have to answer you. But you can at least ask, and a lot of people answer. So you can find things out. Um, so I realized I like that. I know you worked for the Charlotte Observer for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, was that your first job out of journalism school? It was. UNC Journalism School, master's degree, was a two-year program. Um Got out of there in 98, I think. I think I interned at the Observer for a summer in 97, you know, working night cops, you know, three to midnight, you know, shift going out to murder scenes at 10 o'clock at night, you know, talking, seeing what's going on. Um, But yes, uh, worked, started at the Charlotte Observer full time in 98, Um, you know, again, covering a little bit of cops, a little bit of city council moved me out at the time when you started your first job if you if you were early in your career at the observer they had these bureaus um set up in the cities that surround charlotte and gastonia uh concord uh monroe so i was out in gastonia for i've worked out there for three years covering the gastonia city council uh so that was very that was a good time I mean, you learn a lot, you know, uh, having to do that. And so, and then moved back into the, the main newsroom covering 
manufacturing on the business desk and then covered a variety of business beats um, in Charlotte uh, for, you know, for the main observer, uh, covered the economy, covered airlines. Um, and then my last couple of years there, I was a deputy uh, business editor. So you mentioned one of the reasons you wanted to get into the field is the ability to follow your curiosity where it might lead mm-hmm. and the freedom, the excuse in a way to ask people questions. You, you have a reason for probing into, uh, into people's business or their life affairs. Right. What, what fundamentally is the job uh, of a reporter? Yeah, I think a lot of times people probably make it more complicated than it is, but it's basically just sort of spreading information, right? It's not, it's not really any more difficult than taking a bit of information that is maybe closely held or that somebody knows and just disseminating it to a wider population. And so you're basically doing, you know, kind of arbitrage on information, uh, you know, essentially. You're just sort of spreading it, right? And so, you know, you there's a lot of judgment that goes into it about, yes, you sit through a three-hour Gastonia City Council meeting, there are any, you could write any of a dozen, dozens of stories, but it's what do you find interesting? What do people most need to know? What is most useful to them? Um, you know, what's the most relevant? What's the most interesting? So you sort of make those judgments. Um, well, it's like an editorial judgment you're making yeah. as the reporter, right? Yeah, there's a lot that goes in it. You, first of all, you need to sort of judge, well, what is a story? What are people going to find interesting? And then you need to say, okay, how do I pursue that? How do I frame that story? Who do I talk to for that story? What is the information I include? What is the information I don't include? And so... What goes into it besides what people find interesting, right? Because that's not the only way you decide what the story is. Right. I mean, you know, if you look at it, fast forward to, I know, I know we're it's doing all, sort of it, chronologically. All, no, but, it's all coming around. But it's all part of the same conversation. For but, sure. you know, if you look at it today, I mean, it, it's it's so much more fractured in that you have websites that are, we're just giving you stuff that's interesting, right? Like TMZ mm-hmm. does very well. You know, oh, we're giving you celebrity news. Oh, this celebrity, you know, yelled at this guy. And it's like, oh, people find that interesting. It's not necessarily um, uh wholesome or nutritious for your brain yeah or useful to the community um yeah i mean i think it's about steve trying to strike that balance mm -hmm. too where yeah i mean you know you don't want just want people eating spinach the entire time but you don't want them eating uh chocolate cake the entire time either right so you have a little bit of balance between like you give them too much spinach people aren't going to want to uh, people aren't going to want to read your by, by your paper um, or whatever. So what we're talking about is very much uh, it, it's interesting because what I'm imagining we're talking about is you sitting at a Gaston um, city council meeting for three hours mm-hmm. and deciding what story to write. But it is very much the same conversation as what do we cover as the Charlotte Ledger right. you know, today. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so I'm interested in it because it, I think there's a lot to it, right? You've got not only you've you've got the sensationalistic versus the substantive in mm-hmm. a way right you've yeah. got you you might have a city council meeting where uh a lady gets up and yells and screams and maybe throws punches and gets arrested or something like that but it's over some a personal issue related to her own dog or you know something right. like that something it really doesn't have any wider relevance but meanwhile uh, in that same meeting, there's discussion about the the planning for the city and how the zoning is going to be handled for the next 50 years. It's a little more dry, <laughs> right? You know, but it, but yeah, but it sounds like it's not just the editors within a, a newspaper who are making decisions like that. It's you as a reporter are making editorial decisions in writing the story in the first place. Yeah, I mean, the way it used to work was you'd come back and you'd say, "Hey, here's a few things that happened. What do you?" 
what do you think's you know the best thing we should write about you consult with the editor and they say well how about you do this and how about you do that but yeah i mean it's very much like a lot of people sort of assume in media that there's like some conspiracy that there's some agenda that is being put forth by the media and that there are these editorial meetings in which people say okay we need to focus on this particular thing, and we want stories that reflect this outlook. We want this person to look good or right. bad. Yes, and, yep. you get that all the time. When really I can tell you, having worked in newsrooms for a number of years, it's really so disorganized that it doesn't really work that way. Now, people might have you know, political leanings, and there's this whole discussion we probably don't want to get into on you know, media bias and that sort of thing. But you know, I've always heard it said it's more of a... Um, consensus than a conspiracy you know in, in that people yes they have their biases but it's they're just trying to do they're trying to do a good job they're not there's not really an agenda it's very disorganized a lot of it falls to the reporter who's sort of the, the boots on the ground to sort of say this is uh, this is what i think we should do yeah and leaving aside just the uh bias aspect of that there's just this strictly practical exercise in winnowing down right because like you're in a th- i'm 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 intrigued by this concept of yeah. a three-hour Gaston City Council meeting, right? Yeah. So there's a three-hour Gaston City Council meeting. You're probably, when you're writing your story for the Charlotte Observer, you, you may not include the details of every commendation given to the local Cub Scout troop or Correct. something. Like that. You may not include the details of every single rezoning petition. Uh, but you may include the details of some some of them, right? The big yeah. the big ones, the important well, ones. Well, you know, the mothers of the Cub Scouts would like to read the story about the Cub Scouts getting the commendation. You right. know, the, the people who live by the place that's going to have a new office building would like to read about the new office building. Well, you know, now that you mention it, as we as this conversation goes to what you're doing today, part of that conversation is about the long tail of the internet and how niche publications can have a sizable audience. You know what I mean? There may be a market out there. Maybe this is your next newsletter for the Cub Scout commendation news, like nationwide. (laughs) You know what I mean? The funny thing, and I know we're, we're skipping around a little bit, which is fine. Stream of consciousness. That's good. But (laughs) you know, part of it is what you, what I think we've come to realize is that there's an audience for everything. Right. You know, it's like, you know, we publish on Substack, right? Which is the which has sort of come along in the last year or two in people's consciousness of you know it's this newsletter platform. It, it's very easy to get on, very easy to write, um, and so as a consequence, there are now newsletters about everything. This is sort of like back in the day when there were blogs about everything, and so you know you look at some of these newsletter topics, and some of them you say. Gosh, I'd never even thought about that. Like, there's one on like um, the intersection of cooking and witchcraft. Like, that's like a newsletter, okay? And there are any number of examples of things like that, right? Where you're like, who's gonna who's gonna subscribe to that? Right, Someone's but, gonna pay to subscribe to a newsletter about right, cooking and witchcraft, right? But, but you it, realize that actually, in a nation the size of ours and in the English speaking world, you don't need a million people to read your witchcraft and cooking newsletter. You only need maybe a few thousand paying right. you for it, and you've got a you could have a career doing you're, that. You're making a perfectly good living, yeah. And then, and also, you you've got people with certain passions, right? So the people who uh, you you may not need a million people paying you a, a dollar a month or something like that if you can get 
a thousand people paying you a thousand dollars, you know, yeah. if you're, uh, you know, for some particular, anyway. Now, but, it, but, you know, going back to the point about the Cub Scouts, yeah. Could we start a newsletter mm-hmm. that was like the good news Charlotte newsletter? Yeah. Yeah. I think there could be a, you know, there's, there's a market. You don't really know what the market is for, but there's a market for any number of things, I, I think. Um, so and I think that's what we're kind of learning and we're sort of seeing it's sort of you hear a lot about journalism. There's a lot of doom and gloom, but there's a lot of interesting things that are starting out there, too. And yeah. you're like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Well, one of the things that strikes me about the ledger is that it is an experiment in itself. And since you've launched it, you've experimented with it. Yeah. So it is itself innovative and you're constantly innovating within it. And so let's talk about the ledger. All right. So the ledger is an email newsletter uh, published on Substack, but anybody who wants to can sign up and receive a free version of it in their email. Right. Yep. That's right. So what do you, what do you cover? Well, we started out since my background is in business. I started out covering business. We, We were going, we started at three mornings a week, just covering Charlotte business news. The original thought was, Oh, well just sort of, uh, the term in the in the newsletter space is curate. We're going to curate what's out there. We're going to basically take you know what say the Business Journal, the Observer, uh, American Banker, uh, Business North Carolina, or whatever. It takes their best stuff, the most relevant stuff. Um, you know, summarize that and add some commentary, maybe a little bit of original reporting on top of that. And I'm like, I think there should be a market for that. I don't know whether there is or not. We'll find out. That was March of 2019, I believe. I think you were actually one of the first people I sent it to, and I was like, oh, "What do you think about this?" And I don't, I don't recall, I don't recall what your uh, response was. I don't recall what my response was then either. But I'm sure I, it was tremendously positive. Well, I, I mean, my my overall response throughout has been pretty positive. Mm-hmm. I, I have, um, I am a subscriber. I have been since the start. I read it, um, so I consider myself useful to you in a sense that uh, I am a subscriber. I am engaged. I don't know. How, where I rank in terms of engagement, but I, I'm, I think I'm. I pretty can look high. it up on my phone. I, I know like you could. We, yeah, we could talk about that. But it's, um, it's it seems to me like it's uh, business news and human interest stories. Like so, it's a combination. Of, it's heavy on development and zoning and um, real estate, mm-hmm. uh, commercial real estate in particular. And then there's always um, uh, stories about people in the yeah. community doing things. I, I've, there's a memorable piece that you ran once about kids in Valentine that were throwing slices of cheese on each other's cars yeah. or something like yeah, this. Yeah, that's not exactly a, your business angle, but it's just interesting. So I, 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 anyway, I was starting to talk about, yeah, we st- I started it as a business publication. It has since sort of evolved because I'm seeing that there are actually, there's basically the attitude that, that I take, I, I go back and forth between I and we because I brought on a managing editor, very talented, Christina Bowling, about uh, a year and a half ago. Basically, we cover business, but then we also cover, if we see an opportunity to cover something that isn't being covered well or that's just interesting, um, you know, we'll go ahead and, and do that. But our roots are in business coverage. Um, that doesn't mean we don't it, that doesn't mean we exclusively do business coverage, and we're not. We don't do not want to do boring business coverage. Okay, right. we're trying to make it interesting. We're trying to do it in a in a punchy way, a way that's interesting. Now, now there's some business topics that are inherently extremely boring, but very important. 
you know, like this this 2040 plan, right. the Unified Development Ordinance. And so that's a real struggle to try to say, this is something people really need to know about. It's very important. But I can't write a long piece about the Charlotte Unified Development Ordinance and setback requirements and tree save requirements. Uh, Nobody would read that, right? So that's that's sort of the challenge. So it's sort of on this sliding scale is what I'm trying to tell you, Steve, between the important and the interesting. Now, the kids throwing cheese on the cars, thats that slides down uh, to the interesting. <laughs> the uh, the intense coverage of Charlotte's Unified Deve- Development Ordinance, that's on the important. Ideally, we're kind of somewhere in between. Yeah, and are, are you somewhere in between for business reasons or for other reasons? Like, it is Because the thing is, in many ways, what you want it to be and what yeah. Christina wants it to be. So mm-hmm. the two of you together... Uh, are creating this thing and making it what it is. And so have you chosen the balance that you've struck uh, because you think it's going to get you the most subscribers or for some other reason? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's uh, it's a little bit both. I mean, I would say there is a business reason to it. I mean, we do, of course, want to maximize our audience. And so if we were to do a bunch of really, I mean, just let's just talk this through. So if we yeah. did exclusive wall-to-wall coverage of Charlotte's Unified Development Ordinance, we did like a ten-part series. Yep. You know, uh, tomorrow it's on the um, uh, you know the size of the windows that you can put on three-story townhouses. Yep. You know, in this particular Here, zoning designation. Here's a project in Charlotte that you can go look. Here's a picture uh, of what would no longer be allowed. Right. right. And here's what we're moving toward. Here's an interview with somebody who's explaining the importance of window size in, right. in the look and feel. We could certainly do that. Yep. Like that is within our wheelhouse to be able to do that kind of coverage. Yep. Would Steve Dunn read those stories? Probably. Would Kelly Dunn read those stories? Would would more people read us if we just had those stories? And then, okay, put a put a pin in that, yep. and then think the other way. Yep, we're just doing stories on kids that throw cheese at cars. We're doing, um, you know, uh, celebrity uh, gossip kinds of things. Yeah, like we're where, where's the ten really best lightweight. places? Yeah, ten best places to get a taco in Charlotte or something like that. Obviously, or, a market for that. There is a market for you that. know. So, but if we did only that, would you read it? You know, or do you sort of want both? Do you mm-hmm. want to know a little bit about both and have sort of the flexibility? Like the thing is, like we're not. I don't see us. It's it's a blessing and a curse. On one side, it's not a one size fits all thing, and so it's a little complicated. We're doing all kinds of different things. On the other hand, you know, you sort of get the more you the more you diversify, the more none of what you do. You know, it's the problem of the old print newspaper in which, wow, this is a really thick newspaper. There's a lot of news in here. Wow, it's great. Yeah, but you're not really reading half of it because you don't care about sports or you don't care about opinion or you don't care about national politics or whatever. You're not really reading the whole thing. So. It is a little bit of a problem. Like the more you diversify, then at some point are people like, "Eh, I thought you were a business publication. Why are you? Right. Why are you covering COVID? I thought you were a business publication. You know that that sort of thing." Right. Well, right. It, it, this, this, it all. First of all, it all strikes me as hard. It strikes me as a difficult challenge to sort of figure out. And you probably have to rely a lot on instinct. But it, it's the way I'm thinking about this is that you are you may be sacrificing some revenue potential in the interest of something larger than that. So for example, you you could be doing 
um, 10 best tacos in Charlotte, and then next week, 10 best places to get pizza in Charlotte, mm-hmm. and then the next week, the 10 best places to get a burrito in Charlotte, sure. or whatever. And that may be very lucrative, kind of from both sides. Like, you, you, you get people paying you to write those stories, you get people paying you to read those stories, people love those stories, you know what I mean? And it seems like you are... Uh, you've, you've made a decision to shy away from that in a couple of ways. Not not completely, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're striking a balance, but you've chosen to strike a balance that includes a little bit of what you described as spinach or medicine or something. It's not purely a commercial venture. It's what strikes me, and, and I wonder if yeah. you agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do. And, I mean, part of it is sort of what do I find interesting and what do I, as someone who lives in Charlotte, you know, I'm 49 years old, three kids, wife, own a house. Like, what's interesting to me? Because I know that there there are people who are like me who have similar interests to me. And I, I feel like a, a lot of times in the modern media market, it's going to sound, I, mean, I feel like I am not being catered to in the local media as much as I would like to be. How so? Well, I don't, there's, there are not a lot of media, I think, locally that are, you know, focused on, um, uh, you know, uh, professionals, homeowners, people with kids in school. You, you have, uh, without, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but, you know, you have uh, Axio Charlotte, formerly Charlotte Agenda, very focused, seems to me, on people in their 20s and 30s, yep. live close to Going uh, out uptown, on the weekends, going out, well, yeah, the, doing things right, around doing, town. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, cereal bars, breweries, like, I love reading that stuff. It's great. It doesn't. It's not personally that useful to me. I don't do a lot of that stuff. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, I, I want to know where the breweries are. I want to know what the hot new restaurants are. Right. But I feel like there's also there are a whole bunch of people, um, you know, who who want to know about, um, hey, how should I be saving for retirement? How do I find a house? How you know mm-hmm. what do, what what are the pieces of information I need to know to live in this community if I'm not in my twenties and thirties? So I, I feel like there's there's an opportunity uh, there, you know, targeting people in that demographic. Well, people in my demographic and your demographic. Yeah, no, that's true. And yeah, as uh, I'm a huge fan, so it's working in that way. And uh, it's fascinating. It's interesting because what we're getting to is different ways that different publications or newsletters can serve these different long tail markets, right? I yeah. Mean, well, and to make another point that I wanted to make is that you know you you talked about well, yes, could we cover the 10 best burrito places. Yeah, we could. Our business model is actually set up very differently. Like we are a subscription publication, okay? Yes. Which is that's a huge difference between an advertising-based publication. If you're an advertising-based publication, I think the incentives are you would be crazy to write repeated stories about the unified development ordinance because the number of hits you're going to get online are going to be very small relative to the 10 best burrito places that's going to, that's going to do very well online. And so then you can turn around and you can sell that advertising. So if your advertisers want to reach now, they want to reach people who care about the unified development ordinance. It's probably pretty select group of people who are interested in that, but you're reaching more people if you're writing about the burritos and the taco stands, right? So if you're selling ads off of that, that would make sense. We're a subscription publication because I think that lets us be a little more independent and to actually cover things that matter, but that might not be um, 
as click-worthy, shall we say. Yeah, and let's talk about that. Uh, I think it is a big deal. Uh, it's a big decision that you made. It's one that you thought about for a while uh, before you did it. Uh, if I recall correctly, your first paid edition went out right around COVID time, like yeah. Mar- March 2020 or Correct. so, right around when uh, lockdown started. Yes. And you, uh, the, the way it presently works is you have a free version of the newsletter that anybody can sign up for. But if you are a paid subscriber, then you get more, more frequent emails. And, um, and what about the, the additional things, the, uh, the other newsletters that you've mm-hmm. launched alongside? Are those for paid subscribers only? Yeah, one is and one isn't. So we have the core business newsletter, which is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and there's a Saturday, a little bit lighter uh, edition. There's a, we started a, uh, an obituaries newsletter called Ways of Life. That's only for paid subscribers. That comes out on Tuesdays. And then we started a transit transportation newsletter. That's for everybody. That comes out Thursday. So yes, one is for paying subscribers and the other is for everybody. So the point being that you, uh, as a subscription-based model, uh, mm-hmm. you are insulated to some extent from the economic pressures of having to generate clicks and eyeballs and metrics that appeal yes. to advertisers. Um, and that enables you to uh, to make the ledger what it is, to exp- to serve the audience that uh, that you're looking to serve. And it's one that you've described as, as being similar to you, right? It's mm-hmm. stories that are interesting to you uh, mm-hmm. about people who are like you. Um, well, just to be clear, we don't just write about the Tony Messias. Right. We do cover, but but we, we do want to make it interesting to a, a wide range of people. But it's not like, it's not like, People like us just want to read about people like us. I right. think they want it done well. And so what the, having a subscription model does is it really aligns you with your audience. It aligns you with your readers. Like this is this is a business. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, journalism is a calling and it's a public service. And th- those are true. I'm also running a business. And so it's in my interest to serve my customers. And if my customers are the people who are paying me to read what we produce, I will produce what they would like to read. And I think I have a pretty good handle on that. Whereas the, on an advertising type model, if your money is coming from um, a big company, uh, you're basically, they are your customer. And yes, you want to reach as many people as you can, but your interests with your reader are not as aligned because your fidelity is going to be who's paying your bills. No, it totally makes sense. Uh, I represented businesses for a long time as a lawyer. And one of the things that I observed about people in business that surprised me a lot was that more often than you would think, folks have a real reluctance to charge for their services. They almost feel like uh, uh, sheepish about it. Uh, sometimes lawyers will feel sheepish about sending bills, especially big bills, you mm-hmm. know, and um, not all of them, trust me, but <laughs> but sometimes, believe it or not. Yeah. And then a lot of times businesses, one of the biggest problems that businesses can get into is is not sending invoices. <laughs> they kind of forget to do that. They, you know, they do all the things that, uh, that they got into business to do and they, they forget about the making money part of it. I wonder, how did it feel when you went to this subscription model like were you nervous about clicking the button button to publish a thing that says hey this thing that's been free for a year now like I'm, I'm asking you to pony up for it and then do you feel a pressure to like deliver you know once you've got people that are paying those are great questions and yeah i mean so i've been doing it for free for a year no revenue coming in and so then made the decision okay look 
I can't just have zero revenue for a long time. My initial this is just a blog at that point, right? You're, this is like a passion project for right, you. Was, it was just me. I was just writing and right. all kinds of stuff. And I was starting the cool thing. I'll answer your question in a second, but you know, the cool thing is as it got bigger and more people started liking it. And again, I didn't really know where this was going to go. I didn't know whether there was a market for this or not, or whether after six months, like people were like, eh, this sucks. You know, nobody subscribed. The numbers kept going up and more people said, Hey, I like this. And then people started saying, Hey, did you know about this thing that's going on? Right. And so then, and so I'd be like, no, <clears throat> I'd be like, no, <laughs> not, no, no. So, and so, you know, you'd find out something. You get a tip from someone, and then you publish it. And that begets more people calling you, telling you things. So we got this, basically, like I said, we got kind of eyes and ears all over the place. People are sending us stuff. Did you see this? Hey, look into this. Right. Hey, what's going on with this? And so then, you you know, that's so you're getting that connection, really. So, so it was building up. I was getting more, I thought, sort of better stories. I'm like, all right, look. We gotta uh, we gotta figure out a business model for this thing, right? Because right. like traditionally, the tech model traditionally was sort of build the audience and then kind of figure it out. Later. Figure out that. But at some point, did it was it like a, a binary path? Like, did you have to choose between advertising or subscription, or were there other options in there as well? Yeah, I mean, those are pretty much the options. I mean, I was on Substack, which is sort of oriented towards subscription. So in okay. the back of my mind, I'd always sort of thought. That's probably the way to go. Right. But yeah, before I, so, but to answer your earlier question, so before I did that, like, you don't really know. Like, you have the numbers. At the time, uh, I had, I think, about 3,000 people on, on the list, completely free. Now, Substack and people who know this business say, you know, you can expect somewhere between 5 and 10% of those people to sign up uh, as paid subscribers. And I had had some people telling me, like, hey, uh, I'd, I'd pay for this. This would be good, you know. Let me know when you decide to turn on subscriptions. I'm in. You know, it's you're doing a great job, blah, 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 you know. But you never really know, right? right? right. Um, so I did that, and then so I had a two-week two period where people could, uh, you know, sign-up period before I sent the first one that was only to paid subscribers, you know, flogging it. Oh, here's why you subscribe, all this stuff. And it, it was such a great feeling. Like, that first day, it was just like the money just – Poured in. I mean, it was great. So I'd been at zero revenue for a year. Did you get like a notification or a ring on your phone or something? Every it was time great. Well, on I still have this set up where it, anytime you, I get a new um, paid subscriber, I get an email. Okay? Yeah. And so it was great. It was just like, boom, ding, you could ding, Yeah, you could probably ding. set up your computer to customize. When you get an email from that address, it gives you like a cha-ching sound or something like that. You, could <laughs> yeah. prob you, you it, might want to consider that. It was kind of like that. I mean... It, you know, I can go and, and check and look. But, yeah, so I get in emails on that. And it was just like email after email after email that first day. And I think I think it was like, I don't remember. It was something like $6,000 worth of subscriptions or something in the first day. Right. And I now, like, that doesn't sound like a ton of money. But when you're at, like, zero revenue for a year and you don't know whether this is a viable business or not. Right. To, like, clear 6000 bucks in one day is like, this, I think we're on to something. Yes. You know, and it was just, it was a great, great feeling. And, and so then that kind of continued for a couple of weeks. And it, that growth continued for, at a really high pace for, you know, a month or two, um, you know, e even into COVID. So it's like, oh, the timing wound up being so good because if I tried to do that two or three weeks later and everyone's like, I don't know where this economy's going. I don't know what's going to happen to my job. I, don't, I think it would have been, it could have been worse. I wonder. Um, I wonder. It, it, it's. I think it's hard to say about that. Mm -hmm. uh, do you, Do you think COVID helped you or hurt you? Because I guess as people are trying to decide whether to sign up for the paid version of the newsletter, they're sitting at home. Yeah. 
uh, I, I don't know what. I, mean, I think it wound up wound up helping in the sense, like you say, people are at home. They just want reliable news. There's a whole bunch of studies. You know, we saw an increase. A lot of local news publications saw big increases during COVID, just because there was such a demand. People want to know what's going local on. News. Yeah, exactly. And, and I recall your coverage of it. Uh, I remember that um, you were there. You were you were there at the press conferences, yeah. listening to the same people as uh, you know. You, you're a legit media organization. I now. know you're, it looks very legit. Yeah, you know, I'm working off of my couch on a three year old MacBook Air. You yeah. know, and it's. Um, I mean, the, that's the other thing. That's the other piece of it that's really fascinating now like if, if this were if, if i had this idea 10 years ago 15 years ago it just wouldn't have been possible like the technology wasn't as good and now it's just super easy and the ability of people like this very podcast like the idea that you could sit here and have a conversation with someone and have it distributed to anybody in the world who happens to click on something like that just didn't exist it existed maybe 10 years ago imagine if you started this 10 years ago steve Oh, I know. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's a that's a, another topic. But it's like it's come along so um, so quickly. Like the technology is just enabling so much stuff. It's just taking that. Like we don't. We kind of I think instinctually know that, but we don't appreciate that sometimes. Just how easy it is to be a creator, as they call it now. All right. right? Well, this has been our kind of whole life in a way, right? So you and I, as being all right. Uh, did you have your first email address in college? I did. So did I. So that's when I got my first email address. And there's there's going to be people who listen to this who say, wow, you guys are young men. And there's going to be other people who listen to this who are like, oh, my God, you guys are so old. Right. right. I mean, yeah. And that's it. I mean, well, you had to go to the computer lab, I think. Right. I or- had to go to the computer science building way out on Science Drive. I had to walk like a, a mile and a half off of campus to go to this cinder block building to go in and fill out a form with a pen to request an email address from the university. Right. And I got it. And that, and that was that, but then it was kind of off to the races. Like I was from that point forward and this is, this is our generation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So from that point we're, we're entering the professional world. And when I enter my profession, I'm the guy who uses email, which was not, um, novel by that time because mm-hmm. I still had three years of law school and you know email got adapted pretty quickly but it was you know only maybe 50 to 75 percent of the law students used email at all when mm-hmm. I was in law school and then when I uh, became a lawyer you know, I was the guy that had to convince my then employers my soon-to-be partners to use email and to get a website. And this was all sort of new and novel. The concept of blogging was mm-hmm. starting to exist. And that's kind of where this comes from, the citizen journalism, sort of the the distributive power of the internet yeah. um, sort of started. And our whole professional life then, like right from the beginning, has been one of experiencing this constant change, right? Up to the point now where I would suggest to you that a Substack newsletter is still a pretty new phenomenon, right? That's kind of a new, certainly as a viable business model for news. Yeah, but it's so bizarre because, as you point out, email has been around for 30 years. Right. And so... Basically, the technology, at one level, the technology that I'm using to deliver a a local news product is the exact same technology that existed 30 years ago when you went to Science Drive to log into the computer lab. I mean, it's it's the same 
basic thing. Now, it's gotten, obviously, a ton easier to have a bigger effect you know, and it's gotten it's gotten better and well, yeah, slicker. Yeah, the same. Yeah, but the the social the what has changed is in those days, um, it wouldn't have crossed anybody's mind to pay money for any of that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It, wasn't that the thing? Like, well, hasn't that been the thing? Frankly, until pretty recently, sort of, there's this like objection to paying money for online content, right? That was a yeah. cultural shift that has had to take place. I think it's interesting because you make a great point about the fact that. The ledger could have existed 30 years ago technologically, but it wasn't. We weren't culturally ready for it, right. and 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 the businesses, the entrenched powers, didn't uh, still held sway in yes. a way. You know what I mean? Newspapers were much stronger then, frankly. I mean, that, it was a whole different media land. The, the television market was completely different. There were so many fewer networks. You know, so much less choice, really. Yeah. Well, and the barriers to entry were just a lot higher. You know, I think, in one sense, yes. Could you put a could you put a list together of your buddies' uh, yeah. email list and send out your thoughts on things? Right. Uh, yeah, you could. And, but how's and anybody going to find it? How, how are you going to find it? How are you going to make a business out of that? What are you really adding? And you know, I mean, I just think that, I mean there have been newsletters for a long time, and you know, these sort of investment tips or something like that you know right. there's been stuff like that for a while but i think really now we're getting it's like the technology is making it so smooth and so easy so i mean it's it's very easy for on one hand for people to do this is a total sideline yeah. but it it strikes me that uh yeah i used to really look for the the day when we could have sort of a la carte choice in the media channels that we mm -hmm. consume. Like, so I really looked forward to the day when I could, I could just pay for ESPN if I wanted ESPN and I yeah. wouldn't have to pay for all the 150 channels that I never looked at. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And what I've, what I have come to believe is the case is that, that a lot of that exists now, but I think I'm spending more money <laughs> than I was. Yeah, looking. it's this like people have been waiting for that that service. Like you almost, it's like people hate monopolies. But if there were a monopoly that had access to every single channel, and you could just say it's two bucks a month for this and two bucks a month for that, and right? Two bucks a, like people would, uh, you would want a lot of people would want that. It's but it's very tricky. We do the same thing where it's like my son wants to watch Hornets games. Right. I want to watch NFL Red Zone. I also want to watch occasionally local TV news. Like, like that's three different subscriptions right there. Totally. And then to not to say nothing of Disney Plus, oh, Apple yeah. Plus. Well, and we have all of that. I know. So, so I, do we. I have Netflix and Hulu and YouTube TV and all, you know. And I I thought that once we were able to break these things apart a little, I, man, I signed up for Peacock the other day. I right. never thought I was going to do that, but ah, there's a soccer game in England uh, that I wanted to watch, do, and yeah. that's where it is. And so I signed up for it. So if you bring that to the print journalism world, I mean, just speaking to, uh, for myself, I am a subscriber to The Observer and The Ledger, <laughs> right? And so I, anyway, I just, uh, it, it's fascinating to me that transition that exists and you're certainly uh, a part of it and on the, on the front end of it, certainly in Charlotte. Um, I'm intrigued by the personality that you bring to the publication mm -hmm. and the humor in particular. Uh, it's, it does. Uh, it. It. I, I don't know Christina Bowling. Uh, I have. I don't, I'm not sure I've ever met her, but I. I recognize your humor mm -hmm. in the publication, and um, and it comes through in a lot of ways, uh, and some of which are reflective of our demographic. One of my favorite things that the Charlotte uh, Ledger does is the 40 over 40 awards. Yes, this is a little bit of a, a tweak or a. Uh, 
uh, a jab maybe at the 40 under 40 awards that are popular around the country in various uh, in various ways. It's the other side of the coin. It's the other side of the coin, but what what I what I what strikes me about it and this just seems very Charlotte Ledger to me is that it's uh, it's a it's a it's a hap- it's a ride joke. It's a, uh, a kind of a a turn of the screw on media tropes. But at the same time, it is substantive, it's relevant to the community, and it's legitimately uh, valid in the sense that, quite frankly, people who are doing amazing things are often over 40. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of funny. One of our um, philosophies is we don't want to just be doing what everybody else is doing, whether it's covering the same stories, whether it's having you know, the, the same uh, voice. So we're, we try to provide a, a little bit of a different voice, something that's a little bit different. Like nobody wants, nobody will pay you if you are giving people the exact same thing that they can get elsewhere, um, you know, by a bigger organization or and in many cases is free. So we have to kind of go a different direction. And this is, I think it's perfectly, you know, we look for things that are kind of on brand. If our audience skews a little bit older, like we were talking about earlier, then it would make sense to do an awards program that celebrates people who are over 40. And so, yeah, I mean, like you said, it is, on the one hand, it's sort of a joke. On the other hand, I mean, it is a, it is a serious awards. Pro- like, we have fun with it, is, is what I'm saying. You know, the logo, the 40 over 40, like the over is like kind of going over a hill, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, we don't take it too seriously. But at the same time, there are, I mean... People are very interested in it. You know, the corporate communications departments are like, when are the applications opening up? We want to get our people in. And, yeah. You know, like what <laughs> Gary McFadden, the um, Mecklenburg County Sheriff, he was nominated by somebody. We sent him a sort of automated note that you were nominated. He emailed back. He's like, I am so honored to be nominated. Thank you so much for the, you know, the designation or whatever. And I mean, yeah. people, it, people do, there, there is a worth in it, certainly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of on brand. It's kind of fun. Of course it is. And it, it also gives you an opportunity to um, it, to show off this sort of connection to the community that you have that I think is essential to the value proposition of the product, right? So for one of the things, for example, that you do or that you have done in the past is when you have the, the reveal. And all, this has all been like virtual so far because of COVID, right? We haven't been able to get together in person. We are, I do want to say, are, we are having an in-person event April 28th of 2002 in which, we, yes, we will celebrate the 40 over 40 nom- winners for next year as well as the previous two classes. So oh, there, wow. there will Our, be an in-person event. April 28, 2022. That's an optimistic uh, assertion of yours. We hope that the world will permit that. Well, we're that. signing the contract, I think, next week. So All hopefully, right. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm certainly rooting I know. I for hope, you. I'm hopeful it'll be working. Well, but one of the things that you did with the virtual uh, reveal it was, it was a YouTube video, in essence. But you got a you got a cameo from a Carolina basketball player, right? Was it, yeah, was it uh, Joel Berry? I think Joel Berry. Joel yeah, Barry. okay, right. So it was and he went on and on. He went for like two minutes. He's like, you know, forty over forty winners. Congratulations, guys! Charlotte, North Carolina is the best. Like he just went yeah. on and on and on. It was great. Th- that's exactly the sort of thing. That you can do though. I thought you were going to mention David Hasselhoff. Well, the Hasselhoff, Hasselhoff was great, but he 
getting him doesn't show that you know your audience and that you are of this town. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like getting a Carolina basketball player is just, you know, people in Charlotte get it, right? They either love the guy or they're chagrined <laughs> to right. see his face or whatever, or they don't care at all, but they know that everybody else that they hang around with at work does, you yeah. know? And so I think it's, um, it the whole thing just struck me as, as sort of representing the project in a way, like the, yeah. the, the big picture is that here we are, we are Charlotte, we're hitting a different audience, we're doing it with a smile on our face. Is there anything that you stay away from uh, as an editor, like things that you intentionally, that you just consider like radioactive or just outside of your beat and that you're just, that maybe it's newsworthy, maybe it's even interesting, but you just don't want to have any part of it because that's a decision that you've made. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, you know, when we think about this a lot and what do we cover and what do we not cover and you know we don't we don't lean too hard into you know crime um you know i think those stories tend to do well online from what i'm told but we don't i don't really see the news value in telling you that someone was shot uh overnight on you know and here's the address and you may not even know where that is and here's a photo of the crime scene tape like i don't know that that really adds much now we will do pieces bigger picture pieces on what are the trends in crime, for example, and, you know, what are homicides doing? What are traffic deaths doing? Um, you know, we'll, we'll do that. The other one that we really try to stay away from as much as we can is just national politics. It's just so polarizing. And for a publication like ours that's focused on local news, there's really no reason for us in our newsletter to, you know, to do stuff on Trump or critical race theory or I mean there are a bunch of hot button national political issues which, that people have very entrenched ideas about and so what are what can we really bring to the table on that if our goal is to tell people things they don't know and give them facts about things locally you know it doesn't really square so we've had well, people tell okay. us okay we've had people tell us I love uh, this is a couple of years ago I love that you're a Trump free zone it doesn't mean we ignore yeah. issues that come up locally as a result of administration policies but we don't go out of our way to to say uh, you know to, to, to go yeah. one way or the other it's just so polarizing there's no there's no reason for us to do that if you want to argue about national politics there are any number of places you can do that or find out information about there any number we don't need to do that well there's a couple of things there and it some of it gets back to what we were talking about before I, on one level first of all national politics just isn't your beat that's just not sort of your reason for existing right so yeah. there is a uh, a charlotte or charlotte area focus of the ledger right? right it's called the charlotte ledger and you do see yourself as a locally oriented yes. publication, right? So on one level, it's just not, it's not in your mission. You, for that matter, you don't cover international news either, right? <laughs> That's true. Right. That's true. So, I don't think we mentioned the withdrawal from Afghanistan. We didn't, haven't looked at, you know, nuclear right. proliferation or what China's doing in the, you know, the South China Sea. At the same time that there are, there are local things that you cover and local things that you don't cover, right? And you mentioned crime as being one. I haven't noticed a lot of. I've not noticed a lot of sports. I think it comes up some, yeah. but it's not like it's not like every time there's a Panthers game, you're like recapping exactly what happened, you know, right. or anything like that. I, you know, I don't I don't see high school sports or anything like that unless it comes yep. up in some other context. Um, even, but what about like a like local politics? I, I don't. I haven't even really noticed a lot of that. I mean, there's some. There's stuff about like what the city government is doing, yeah. but there's not like I haven't noticed any like 
horse race coverage or you know mm-hmm. if you made a decision about that or has it just been sort of the way things have turned out no that's a good question i mean again our roots are sort of in in business coverage that we expand if if we need to a lot of the things you mentioned our other one of our other guiding principles is as i mentioned earlier we're, we don't want to cover stuff that is already being covered elsewhere stuff that you know like listen the hornets had a great game the other night they won by one point they came back from 23 points or whatever that's great if you're interested in the Hornets, you already know that. So there's really no reason for uh, what are what can we add? You know, we're a small. We have two full timers. We use a bunch of freelancers. How are we going to devote our limited resources? And it's not going to be at things that are, for the most part, already taking place. There are a bunch of reporters at city council meetings, county commission meetings, a bunch of reporters at Hornets games, Panthers games. Um, you know, there are websites that can tell you about high school sports. Like we don't, we're not. Re- if we can't bring something good to the table. We're not really going to do it. We kind of assume that if you are interested in something, you're going to find out find out about it through other means on, on those things. What we do want to focus on are things that really hardly anybody is paying attention to. So we'll watch city council meetings. We might not write the main story that five other news outlets write about, but we might find the one that isn't being written about and do something on that. We're, we're going to tell you something that you don't know is our goal. Same thing. We kind of joke, you know, rezonings and real estate development. I think there's a huge opportunity there, you know, to, um, to, to do more. I think there's an appetite among people about, Hey, what's going on in my neighborhood? What's being built growth and development, huge, huge story for Charlotte. And so yes, other places do some of that coverage, but we think we can do it pretty well. And we think we can do things that nobody else is doing. So that's what we're going to do. I think that's really well said. I think it's a combination of, uh, covering things that maybe aren't being covered like in terms of subject matter, but also contributing in a way where you're, you're, you're what you are doing, you're doing better than what else is out there. Like there, if there's, you're not going to cover the Hornets better than all the other people covering. No, the Hornets, then like right? the athletic and the <laughs> right. rivers beat reporter who's full-time job is covering the Hornets. Exactly. No. Right. Right. And so you're, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, now, now maybe we do a one-off story about, Oh, they're putting in new luxury suites or so, something that nobody's writing about or whatever it is. Maybe we, maybe occasionally we do something like that, but it's not. The other part of it is, Steve, it's like the assumption used to be in media when I was at the Charlotte Observer was that people would get all of their news from the Charlotte Observer. Right. The way people consume news now is much different. And so I think we need to adapt to the reality that for the most part, people are reading other things and, and getting information from other places than the Charlotte Ledger. So there's no real point in us being like, oh, hey, did you know the Hornets won last night? It's like, yeah, yeah, I saw it on Twitter. Uh, I saw it on the 11 o'clock news. I watched some of the game or whatever. It's like, you know things from other sources. So if we can tell you stuff you don't know, like that's our advantage. It's really fascinating to me because your point is uh, exceptionally good that uh, there's no point trying to be all things to all people. You really, it, everything we've been talking about relates in some way to this concept of, of a niche and a narrow focus. And what's What's fascinating is that the ledgers isn't really just about the subjects that it covers, but it's also about the personality and the tone and the humor and and that's reflected in the stories, right? I, I don't know. I keep yeah. coming back to the well, that's cheese a- on the cars, man. <laughs> yeah. like, that's just the sort of thing. Like it's totally frivolous in a way, mm-hmm. but it's also interesting. It was interesting enough to you to publish it. It was interesting enough to me to not only read it, but still be talking about it today. Yeah. I think <laughs> actually Christina, I think, got that scoop as five or five recall. But yes, yeah. it was, yeah. But yeah, it was, you know, that's something 
I don't know what I don't, I don't know, know what it means. Like if you told me that this email newsletter published a story like that, I'd be like, I'll pass. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the same time, it um it and other stories like it are they go alongside. They are a part of our our intake of media generally, right? Yeah. And well, I think we try to have a sense that as much as I mean, we like the work that we're do that we do and we're proud of the work that we do, but we're also I kind of hate the word ecosystem, but we're part of the ecosystem. Like it, people are carving out different pieces, right? of uh, of the market. Yeah, and so, so there, there we're trying the hard hitting one, and there could be the narrowly focused one. There could be ten best tacos. I mean, I will click on that myself. Oh yeah, because I want to. I like good tacos. You know, no, I love I, mean? I love good tacos. Right. So we all kind of take in, and I guess what I'm suggesting is that I think that your your piece, your role in that larger or system. Uh, has a lot to do with tone. And uh, that's also sort of a departure. That's something that's a little bit newer. You know, traditionally, media took a very neutral, very um, dispassionate tone. It could all, you could also say that's a boring tone yeah. at, at times. And sometimes that's called for, right? If you're covering something that's super serious, like COVID stuff, like we tend not to get too cheeky on the COVID coverage, okay? <laughs> Probably for, for, for good best. reason, yeah, right? Right, right? But that there are times if you're writing about something else, if you're writing about two rich guys suing each other or something like that, it's like, well, we can have a little bit of fun with that. If it's kind of low stakes, if it's not a life and death thing. You're, you are currently beating the drum as we record this episode about the shortage of liquor in the ABC stores, right? As particularly compared to the abundant availability of liquor just down the road in South Carolina. It seems like a fair question to ask. Again, editorially, really nobody is covering that. Okay, we, we have had stories on that. Every week for the last seven weeks, okay? Right. We got a little logo, right. liquor shortage. In but again, I think that's something everybody can identify with. We're telling you stuff you don't know. We had a very good Q&A with the CEO of the Mecklenburg County ABC board. He was very forthright, very helpful. But yes, we're going to shine the light on things that other people aren't shining light on that we think people are interested in and need to know about. Let me ask you this. You you mentioned the fact that you don't do national news, and part of the reason for that, or just part of the consequence of that, is just avoiding this sort of polarized environment that we live in politically. However, that finds its way into these local stories, right? So oh, you, sure. you talk about COVID, and COVID is obviously a, uh, a local story, and it doesn't have... you necessarily any direct connection to national politics but guess what all of a sudden it does you right. know what i mean and it and it does and so one of the things that i've noticed about the ledger is that you really have to squint and look hard to detect any kind of uh obvious political leaning one way or the other mm -hmm. uh it's rare uh and and it's subtle and i wonder if, if that's intentional and how you do it. And then I wonder if that also is a business decision in the sense that there, there may be you, you are you gaining or losing market by yeah. making a choice like that? Because it, it, I I've seen so many uh, individual people and organizations make a different choice and and be rewarded frankly you know i mean i think there may be a market out there i know there's a market out well, there for yeah i mean you think on politics you know there's definitely right-wing sites that sort of 
fire up their people, their left-wing sites that fire up their people. But I'll tell you, it kind of goes back to this question of audience, I think, Steve, in which there's definitely an audience for people who don't really want the spin. They just kind of want the facts and the news, right? And and everything you do is probably a result of, um, you know, your background and your leanings and, you know, things like that. But if you can try to be fair and if you can try to be just play it down the middle there's definitely a market for that too that sometimes doesn't isn't always apparent i think in these times but you know our philosophy is to try to you know we're going to try to report something as fully as we can we're going to tell you both sides of it we're not going to leave out information or, or try to slant it do we accomplish that 100 percent of the time probably not but that's the ideal and so there's definitely a market i think for this um, for what we're trying to do and just sort of tell you things you don't know, tell you some facts. And if you want to, you know, take those facts and act on them politically, that's fine. But yeah, like you mentioned on COVID, you know, it's like the math, everybody, you know, there's debates about the mass and the effectiveness of the vaccines and all that kind of thing. And I don't know, it's not really our role to tell you, I think that we, that the Charlotte ledger believes that everybody should be vaccinated and that children, you know, all the children should be vaccinated and everybody should wear a mask at all times. That's not really our role. We'll give you the information that says that's the health officials. Here's what health officials say. And here's what the doctors say. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to really nag you. We're kind of the, the philosophy is we're giving you information. You decide what to do with that information and you live your best life. How, is that a change in the profession of journalism? Do you think? I mean, do you think that that's an abdication in a sense of the traditional journalist's role in exercising judgment on behalf of people who are less informed and and let me just ask it this way like so there there's a difference between what the health official here's what the health official says about vaccines and the fact that vaccines work you mm-hmm. know what i mean there is there are there are facts in the world yes <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and and when you choose to say well you know the health official says the vaccines work you know i don't know uh you make your own choice is is that different uh from what journalists used to do and is that a good thing yeah i mean it's kind of hard because on the one hand you can say well oh well you're not saying the charlotte ledger isn't telling me to get vaccinated oh they must be a anti-vaxxer or there must be trumpy or, or whatever like that that's not that's not really I don't see it as our job to really tell people what to do. We're going to, we're going to provide information and you know, I don't think, I also don't think we should just treat health officials as uh, I don't think we should let them go unchecked. I think the traditional role of journalism is to give you facts is to challenge authority. Now, obviously when you're talking about a pandemic in which people are dying and that vaccines save lives and that there are things, steps that you can take. Let me just interrupt you and just, and just say like, here's what I'm getting at. There's like, there's a style of journalism and this is not the ledger. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of like talking heads on cable news or something where their version of even handedness is to have one person, spouting you know and and you know one person gets up and says uh vaccines are safe and effective and we need to take them if we want to ever be free of this pandemic and then they get somebody else up there who says vaccines are dangerous and they don't work and you should take other therapies instead and this is all just a front for the government trying to like control every part of your life you know what i mean right and the, the and there's a certain style i think of 
journalistic thinking, which is that that is somehow even handed, you know, right. and so you're giving equal time. And what I'm, I, this is not your mission, right? Yeah, but yeah. I'm just as we just talk about the media sort of in general, I'm just curious, like what you think about someone who is a professional, uh, who is a journalist, who's putting words out there for the consumption of thousands. Uh, and, you know, w- w- what is the role of judgment, you know? And, yeah. And, well, I mean, obviously in media circles, there was a lot of hand wringing about that in the Trump administration, right? Like to what extent are we stenographers and to what extent are we enabling, um, you know, people who are irresponsible, right? And do, do we give the equal time to the head of the CDC versus some guy who read some stuff on the internet? They have different views. You got, hey, we're presenting two sides. You sort it out kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of discomfort, I think, in in some of that. And it's tricky because, you know, it used to, but on the other hand, you know, it's it's probably good business for, on those, for those business models. It's like, well, there are people who think that, um, you know, it's a government plot, and so we need to uh, have their views represented or something like that. And back in the day, I think it is a change. Back in the day, you know, you'd have, like, remember some of these things? Like, you'd have, like, the Klan would march in Greensboro. Right. It'd be, like, six people, and then you'd have, like, 500 counter-demonstrators. Right. And it's like, it was sort of like, I don't know, do you really cover Like, it was always like, It was oh, always yeah. covered, wasn't it? It was covered, but I don't feel like it was blown up. Like, yeah. I feel like now, if, the, if you had, like, six guys who said they were in the Klan who were marching in hickory like i feel like it would be a huge huge story where it's kind of like uh it used to be like these guys why are we painting these guys are a bunch of fringe people why are we paying attention to them and now it's like we've almost because it's so easy to disseminate information it's like well you know well it's it just kind of takes on a life of its own well i think one of the things we've learned in recent years is that it is good business to make people angry right Mm -hmm. i mean i think this is expressly not they, they wouldn't say this, but I think it is expressly the result of algorithm-based selection, right, mm-hmm. that we see largely with uh, social media, YouTube, you know, the, the websites that are feeding us information based on what we like as measured by what we interact with and how long we spend on a website, that it it tends to serve us up stuff that makes us angry. Right. <laughs> and yes. I, th- I think the algorithms have figured out that like the thing to do, if you want to maximize engagement and time on the platform and all that kind of stuff is, is to make people angry. And uh, I, I highlight all this uh, to differentiate the Charlotte ledger because you are um, exempting yourself from that. It seems intentionally and doing it with a subscription model mm-hmm. in, in part for that reason and it is it's not so much i think the um the middle of the road or you know keeping it even on both sides as much as what strikes me as more important is the just simple absence of that whole dynamic that person who said to you thank goodness this is a trump free zone i think what that person was saying and what a lot of your readers experience with the email is that here's a place where i can just I just don't have to be a part of that. And that that's a part of that tone that I was mm-hmm. talking about, the, the, the space that yeah. you're filling in the media market. It's, uh, it's fascinating to me, and it's, it's, it's been fascinating to watch it develop and grow. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that Substack founders say is that, yeah, you don't have to, uh, with a subscription model, you don't, because you're not dependent on getting as many clicks as possible to sell ads off of, you don't need to needlessly pump up fake conflict, you know, or try to, 
there are all these bad practices that I agree are just bad practices out there. Just making people trying to push people's anger button, you know, on things that that are not really that important. Like that happened, you know, the the clickbait, the you know, these headlines that don't don't say anything. You know, this guy donated money to this college. Here's what we know. It's like, what's going on? Like, why not just say? You know, why not, why not name names? Well, it's like, well, they need you to click on it. Right. You know, so you can do actually good journalism because there is a market of people who want to read good journalism. You know, you, you don't have to play these games. And so it, I think it's it's a much purer relationship. And so, we're you know, I, I completely believe in that. And so, you know, yeah, we make we make choices. We make a lot of choices on things and what to include, what not to include. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the general thinking is we're just trying to tell you stuff you don't know. Um and, you know, we're, we're giving you information and we're not going to enable, we don't want to enable a bunch of fringe voices or, but if there's a reasonable debate on something, and it's always a question like, what is, what is a fringe view and what is, what is a hot button issue and what it's, it's hard and we probably don't always get it right. But. Well, and you got to think about it every day, right? This, it's not something where you just set it and forget it, right? This right. is something, these are choices you have to make all the time and it could change over time. Uh, what do you see for the future? Uh, what, what's coming up now? Here's what I've gathered so far. Hmm. On April 28th, 2022, <laughs> there will be an in-person event to unveil the latest class of 40 over 40 and to honor the previous recipients of the prestigious Charlotte Ledger 40 over 40 yes. award. So we know that's coming up. Uh, what else? What else is going on? Yeah, we've got a few different things. You know, the cool thing about what we're doing is we're small enough and we're nimble enough we can just try things, and if they don't work, we can ditch them and move on, and it's no big deal. So we'll be doing a f- we have a few different things. We're going to be doing a few more kind of events. We did an online event uh, a couple weeks ago on getting into college, college. admissions. We yep. had some college counselors and took uh, reader questions. I think that was good. I think we'd probably do some more of those um, virtually, maybe some in person. Um, I think that's there's this whole notion of how do you create a sense of community, and I don't know whether I don't know whether if people's commonality is they read a uh, subscription newsletter that comes out a few times a week, whether that's whether there's a community to build there, enough of a community to I build. I think there might be, man. And the reason I say that is because of what we this is this conversation that we just had is kind of crystallized for me a little bit of like what what the ledger is like, yeah. or, or sort of at least the way I see it. And I think it's that 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 tone or that spirit that mm-hmm. it has is above it informs everything else like uh, the editorial choices the way you put the words together the pictures that you choose to run you know like, all of it i think comes from and, uh, and a lot of it's wrapped up in your personality yours and christina's together are, are are informing this thing and i think that it's not that much of a stretch to think that the people who value the publication would also get along <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> if they, i, I really so. don't think so i think they actually a lot of them actually know each other too frankly <laughs> i mean it, it's we have a pretty good list of people who are um who are i think you know doing things in charlotte that are are good for charlotte and so um yeah so i'm curious to sort of see how that works out we have some plans we're going to do i think a couple of uh you know beers with the editor kind of nights and it's christine and i were just talking about this morning it's like how many people are going to show up if we put in the newsletter hey come have a beer with tony and christina and at five o'clock on tuesday and this and that like would five people show up yeah but or then would you could 50 people i know up? what you would do though you would do a great like little photo montage of yourselves just sitting there lonely 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, pipe in like some cricket sounds yeah, or something I mean, yeah, like that. You could, or, you could do failure of the month or something. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, it could be a feature about like something that you tried that just didn't work out. Yeah. So we can, we'll do more stuff like that. I mean, we have a couple other things we're we're trying to get off the ground. Uh, it's it's about like so. How do we um, serve our readers? If our readers tend to be kind of over. 40 or over 35 for the most part professionals like what are they interested in and so we probably need to do more um market research and surveys and things like that or we could just sort of wing it and i could bounce some ideas off of you and you could be like well that's a good idea and you're like oh really what's the thinking on that idea you know <laughs> yeah it's crosswords uh, we're gonna do crosswords oh well, well that's now, yeah, that's one thing that has local been. locally focused crosswords I, I love it. You I, do crosswords? I look forward to it. I have in the past. I'm not presently doing crosswords, okay. uh, but I have I have done crosswords. Uh, there have been phases of my life. Right. <laughs> my relationship with crossword puzzles <laughs> is long and varied. <laughs> so we'll see. We're going to just sort of test it and sort of see what the reaction is. Are do, you really do, doing crosswords? We are really doing oh. crosswords. We have some. <laughs> we're going to roll it out in a few weeks. I can tell you. I can tell you. I can break the news exclusively on, on the, the inaugural episode podcast. of the Steve Dunn podcast. 45 minutes in or however long we are yep we're doing crosswords local crosswords with local clues how are you making them i'm not making them there's we a, go to the pros there we got, to, there's a cross there's this is a whole subculture of crossword makers and we found a guy out of i think uh, columbia who's, uh, who's done a, several of these now and as soon as we have a few more in the bag we're gonna roll them out we're gonna start with five of them um and just sort of see how it goes. Uh, one thing I've noticed about crosswords is that it, it, you'd be hard pressed to find a one that doesn't have Boca Raton in it <laughs> somewhere. They also also uh, Olio. Yeah, I always find Olio is in a lot of crosswords. Of course, yes. Well, I look forward to that and to everything that's coming. I, you've been very generous with your time. It's actually we've been over an hour now. Oh wow! Okay. I'm curious um, when. As you think about your own uh, career, the your trajectory, and um, it seems like in in some ways, you know, you, you're eligible for the forty over forty uh, in the sense that you're over forty, right? You're probably conflicted <laughs> out by some the yeah, the journalism. It would be a bad look. The canons of ethics. It'd be or a whatever. bad look. Well, for you. Oh well, the four, next forty over forty winner is oh Tony. Well, what do you know? Yeah, bro, it's amazing oh, what he's doing. Yeah. Christina Bowling really got screwed on that one, huh? Yeah, yeah well, yeah, but I think um, what I'm wondering about is whether you see yourself uh, at the beginning, you know, rather than winding down of what you're doing and what you hope one day is the mark that you left or what you'll be remembered hmm. for by the people who come well, along nice. after. Well, yeah, I would leave leave that to others. I mean, I, I would, I guess, say um, I, I feel like I'm doing some of the best work in my career um, it's very liberating to start something and chart the direction for it. Um, you know, the thing is, it can go any number of different directions. And so each step along the way, you got to make choices. And so it's been great to sort of see the growth of it. Um, you know, we don't take that for granted that that's always going to continue, but we hope to keep growing and keep trying new things and do things that are good for Charlotte. And I guess I would just hope I'm, I'm happy that we're sort of contributing. I'm happy that so many people seem to find it valuable and um, that hopefully we're contributing to make Charlotte a better place. Well, I can't think of a better place to end it. Uh, Tony, as you're here with me on the first 
episode of the Steve Dunn podcast. I salute you in innovation and experimentation. And uh, here's looking forward to great success for the future. Great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Well, how about that? Like any great conversation, I'm left with more questions, but we'll just have to have Tony back. Thanks for being with me on the first episode of the Steve Dunn podcast.